You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. We are here with our rock star and special co-host, DC Lucchese. My name is Brian Young, and I do work for the Dunstan Group. Scott is out today, uh, and we will miss him, but DC is a rock star. And I'm so excited to bring Jen and Quentin Gibson on our podcast. You guys probably know who they are, but if you don't, we'll give you a little bit of uh, of an intro. You know, these uh, our next guests are, are longtime partners, friends, um, and really good friends here of the team at, at the Dunstan Group, Jen Snyder uh, Gibson. Uh, his name comes up regularly around here, and as she is the executive director of the Hood Hargett Breakfast Club, an amazing organization that we are a part of and honored to be members of. And, I, I, you know, it's a club, but it's really a group of friends that really take care of each other, help each other, support each other. Um, and there's something so special about that group. And, and every time we meet, it's amazing. Uh, Quentin is a world-class and world-traveled pr- professional musician. He's the lead guitarist for the Darius Rucker Band, and he is also a rock star who has an incredible story and that's what we're gonna gonna jump into. Now they are here to talk about something really personal, and and are gonna open up about their story um, through addiction, through recovery. And I really believe that their story can help other folks. I'm very proud of, of Quentin for not only you know his journey, but also being able to open up about that. Uh, he goes around the country and speaks and and helps other people that are going through recovery and you know mental illness and addiction and recovery are things that you know need to be conversations that we have on the regular. And um, you never really know what somebody's going through, and it's really good to talk about it. So, Jen and Quentin, A, thank you guys for joining us again. And B, really, thank you for opening up about this. Uh, we definitely want to learn more about, you know, the journey and, and how you've taken maybe a dark time in your past and turn it into a very positive light. So, Jen and Quentin, thank you, and welcome back to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. Hey, and DC, we're glad you're sitting. <laughs> it always happy to be here you know the deal yeah thank you so much for having both of us thank you i appreciate it yeah we just dropped our 300th episode in 300 weeks which um still That's blows like my mind closing in on six years right like, i know i i can't even straight thank you so much it, it's been an honor me and scott talk about that all the time and if you're an avid listener which i hope you are you know that me and Scott have learned and grown through this podcast. We've become better people through the guests that we've had on, but ultimately it's who we are as connectors, as people that want to share stories, and you guys have a great one. Um, so let's jump into it. Now, uh, I don't know who wants to start here, but um, I do want to get kind of the story of, of how this all happened and, and, and really, you know, let's start from the beginning, right, um, and, and, and open it up. So Quentin, Jen, I don't know who wants to start, but let's rock it. Yeah, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, before I jump into the story, I did want to mention that where you and I, Brian, are, are waiting for Scott to pick up a Peloton so we can start writing. That's right. That's right. We will. <laughs> that is correct. Oh, Scott, will listen to this. It's on, buddy. It's on. <laughs> I love it. Well, again, thank you so much for um, uh, taking a few moments and uh, letting us share the story. Uh, um, Jen and I have gone around. Uh, for several years now, speaking to different facilities that I've been involved in, um, two facilities that I actually attended, one in Utah, which is called Cirque Lodge, and then uh, the one in Charlotte, which is uh, Blanchard Institute. And Blanchard actually got me into Cirque out in Utah. And, um, you know, it 
It started summer of 2017, about six months after Jen and I got married. It was a terrible timing on my part. <laughs> hey, I think I'm going to get married very in. Oh, hey, I'm going away now. Portable <laughs> yeah. time. And that added to the stress of that whole moment for me. Uh, I thought maybe I might lose my marriage and lose my children and my job on the road. So there was a lot, there were a lot of stressors that were involved when I was confronted uh, with an intervention through the people that I work with and my brothers on the road, they took the initiative and confronted me because I had had a, a long string of just overindulgence and it was not really something that I was controlling very well. Even though I thought I was managing it, I thought I was uh, ruling everyone. Uh, the people that I was surrounded with in family and on the road, they saw for years, they saw it coming. Um, so summer 2017, I had had uh, a long string of uh, binges, which seemed to become kind of the regular thing for me near the end of my drink. And I had a long drinking career and, it, you know, it all, I didn't really start out 25 something years ago with um, wanting to end up in rehab, you know, it was just a real simple process, having fun with my friends, you know, whatever. And then eventually over the course of decades, it became something very dark and that I started to rely on and it kind of became my best friend because I knew I could escape anything that made me stressed out. I would go straight for that. And so giving that up was extremely difficult because I thought I was managing it. So I'd have this special relationship with, with alcohol, uh, all forms of it. I was a uh, I was pretty good at mixing everything together. I never just did one thing. I just went for it all the time. And once that trigger got started, it was hard to stop. I, I just couldn't get myself to stop. Um, and if I never started the drink on a, on a particular day, then I could probably make it through the day and not drink. But that first, first sip, that first shot, whenever, that would really kick off something that Alathon was impossible for me to manage. So after, after I had the, um, the confrontation intervention, whatever you want to call it, I went away for those 30 days and my coworkers helped me out a lot because they, they allowed me to to go away and not have to worry about making money, salary. I could keep my job. They just wanted me to go get some help. Jen being, uh, miss make it happen. That's why Hester. All right. On the day that I had the intervention, I called her and I said, don't talk. I need to tell you something. I have to go get some help. Got to go to rehab. 
And she's like, okay. So she was on the phone within minutes and two, three, four hours later, it was all set up for me to go. And the beautiful thing about it is that she had worked with Blanchard Institute before and they were a client and they worked together, got me in there and it was, I was kind of, seriously, I was kind of hoping it wouldn't be that easy. Blanchard <laughs> <laughs> Institute and Music Cares scholarshiped me into some rehab and I love Music Cares. It's, it's kind of interesting because I had done several charity benefits for them prior to all of this happening. And that's why I love Music Cares so much because they got me into this facility and now, anytime that he can do something for them, we do. Cause I, you know, I want to continually get back to, to help other musicians, artists, whatever, uh, to get the help that they need, because it, it is a huge, huge problem in this country and worldwide. But ever since COVID, the numbers have gone up, the amount of people that are going into rehab now. And that's a great thing because we want them to get help, but you can just really see how people became more uh, stressed out and out of control, uh, you know, and I get it because I, I, we all freaked out with COVID, right? And, you know, thank God I wasn't drinking at that point. You know, I mean, my recovery tools that I, I learned in treatment and then through my program the 12-step program really helped me work through the, the whole COVID debacle, you know? And it's interesting because I talked to a lot of people in recovery and they, they say the same thing. It was like they're, the people in recovery had already worked on the tools to help them with their stress. And the people that, you know, weren't doing any recovery, they were indulging in something more now, you know, just so they could kind of forget. So once I was in, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to jump back to the day that I got to Utah and Jen flew out there with me. And I, I remember when we landed and they had a driver pick us up at the airport in Salt Lake city and the entire time on the drive, and it's a beautiful drive. If you've ever been to Utah, um, th there was nothing beautiful about any of the scenery. I remember just sitting there thinking, what have I done? What is, what's going to happen? You know, I'm going to be away with a bunch of strangers and I'm pretty scared. So there's really no moment of that drive where I thought, oh, this is just beautiful landscape. I didn't even enjoy it. When we called up to the facility, you know, I started getting, you know, it's kind of breathing heavy, getting real nervous. And I knew that she was going to have to leave because she couldn't stay. So when we got me checked in, we had to go to detox. They had to do blood tests, you know, urine tests, all that stuff. And to get me checked in. And then it was time for her to leave. And I mean, we were both all in our eyes out. We, we didn't want to leave. And I didn't want her to leave. And 
I didn't want to make friends with anybody and I, I knew I needed help, but it was just a, a really intense moment. And as she drove off, I went into my, my room and I sat on the bed and I probably cried for two hours and I was like, I cannot believe where this has all ended up. And I, you know, the future was, felt kind of bleak. Um, so, you know, there's no, once you get to treatment, there's no sitting around for too long. They get you into your group therapy or they get you into some sort of activity pretty quick. So after about that two hours, I had to go to a group meeting and sit with 16 other people in a circle. It's my first time to do anything like that. And, uh, everybody's introducing themselves and talking a little bit and I didn't introduce myself as an alcoholic because I didn't think I was. And when we ended the, the group session, they did the serenity prayer, which I don't know that I've ever heard. So I was the only guy that didn't know it. And I was kind of embarrassed about that. Um, so I made sure I memorized that before I came back to Nexus. <laughs> and you know, they, I didn't feel comfortable being vulnerable. So I was really quiet that first night. The next day, there was a shift that happened. And once I introduced myself, hey, I'm Quentin, I'm an alcoholic. There was a shift that happened in, in my brain. And it was like, okay, I'm starting to become vulnerable and I'm accepting, which is, you know, part of the 12 step process. Step one is except that my life is not manageable with alcohol or whatever substance. Um, and when I started accepting that and opening up and talking in front of people and allowing myself not to be perfect, there was some healing that started. And that was the most important part of that moment for me was just to accept. And that was something that I dealt with for a long time. I always tried to be perfect in everything that I did. And uh, I think that was a big foundation as to why I drank so much is I always felt like I could accept myself and could be more acceptable to others because the alcohol helped me relax a little bit. And if I could have only just stopped with a couple of drinks, you know, I would have been fine, but I couldn't. There was something that just wasn't right. And so we dove into the deep therapy and I made it through those 30 days and I came back out and had my job back on the road. Back home with Jen and seeing my kids again. And it was very exciting. Great to be home. I could not wait to leave. At the same time, I was a little nervous jumping back into the road life. You know, our first show back was in Asheville, actually, at the Orange Field. And uh, when I got up on stage, I had the shakes. I was like nervous. I was like, man, I haven't been on stage in so long without a drink. Now I kind of don't have any confidence. Right. And there's a certain sort of paranoia that that 
when someone gets sober, there's a paranoia that goes on with you that you're you're working hard to stay sober, but now you're afraid that people around you don't think that you're sober. Okay, and you start uh, psyching yourself out. So I was concerned because I was nervous on stage. If I made a mistake, they would think that I was drinking and then I would get fired. And it, it got in my head big time. I, that was one of the worst shows I've ever had sober because I was I was making mistakes because I was overthinking. I wasn't on my autopilot. Right. Um, uh, yeah, so that... That that show was not that great, and I, I I really didn't enjoy the road quite as much because I, you know, other people are still enjoying everything, and I kind of felt left out. And that's another thing that people go through when they get sober is they feel left out. It's like, man, I can't go to a sports bar now and watch football because all my friends are going to be drinking, and I'm kind of like sitting there with a seltzer and. Just want to take it, throw it against the wall. I don't feel that way now, but it, it <laughs> the process of working a program with a sponsor, uh, a lot of for me, a lot of reading and research and learning and studying about the program and and investigating multiple types of programs. Um, just to see which one fit best for me. Because at the end of the day, anyone that is sober trying to work a recovery program, you have to find the one that works for you. And that's what I always tell people when I'm speaking. It's like, this is your recovery. This is not Joe Schmelz's recovery. So you're going to need to work whatever works for you that's going to keep you sober. Because the end game with not being sober is what it's death you're eventually gonna drink or drug or whatever you're doing it, it doesn't have a positive outcome and if you're abusing it so i always encourage people to work that program that works for them and i found the one that worked for me and and I still continue to work that, and it really is what has gotten me through to this point to be successful in my recovery program, but it's a process of learning and finding out and frustration, and that you learn a lot of patience, and and you have to learn uh, forgiveness of yourself. You have to make amends. There's, there's a lot of steps that I'm talking about right now that you make amends to people that you might have hurt and you know there there's i think one thing that i like to tell people is just be patient with yourself give yourself some grace um walk through it you're going to have your ups and your downs and that's just going to come with the program but at the end of the day you just want to stay sober and that's why in, in the 12-step program, you're just taking it one day at a time. Because if you look too far in the future, it becomes overwhelming. It's like, man, how can I stay sober for 30 years? You don't want to look at it like that. You're just staying sober for today. 
really stay sober for the next hour. And, and there are people that I run into a lot in meetings that are just trying to hold on until dinner time. And, and, you know, my success is because of an incredible support system with Jen. She's, she's been amazing. And there's no value that I could put on that. Honestly, I mean, family support is huge to a successful program. And, um, and she was patient with me throughout that first year because I was what people call a dry drunk. And, and I was sober, but I was really pissed off about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll bet. Yeah, it's a big change. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't even know where the big book is now that I took and I threw it up against the wall and broke it in half. And I'm really not having a good day that day. <laughs> yeah. Like, man, this program sucks. And that's not what he said. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. I'll check that. I want to I want to jump in here quick, Jen. So you know, a lot of the process of addiction and recovery it obviously impacts relationships, um, and you just mentioned it, which I want to want to hone in on is family and having that support. Um, I've had a lot of friends, specifically from college, maybe ones that we've gotten disconnected, but I have a lot of friends who have gone through the program, and and you know they'll make a post that it's seven years since they had their first drink, right, uh, or their last drink, and. You know, it's incredible that people have been able to do that, but none of them did it alone. They always had to have somebody in their support system. And so, Jen, you're an amazing person in general, um, but obviously you might have even gotten into something that you didn't even know was this deep. And then out of the blue, you get a phone call and and what you do is is you turn things into action, right? You make it happen. And you did that in four hours, which doesn't shock me at all. I'm actually shocked you didn't do it in two hours and you probably did, you know, so um, it might have been. been. It probably was. But Jen, tell us kind of your journey of that as well and, and how that impacted you. But you've also changed your lifestyle, right, to be able to support Quentin. Uh, tell us a little bit about your journey. You know, I think, Brian, one of the reasons why this has become such a a huge thing for us as a couple, and but but me also from a family side, is because addiction is everywhere in our society and there if you were to put a room full of people together and ask people to raise their hand i would venture to say almost a hundred percent of the people are going to raise their hand at either a family member or a friend or a colleague at work that they know has a problem that person might not be willing to admit it yet but they know that there are things that are going on that that really need help, right? And for me, I knew nothing about addiction. I didn't have it in my family. It was not something I had personally ever dealt with. So getting thrown into this fire was something that I was completely clueless about. Um, that day that Quentin called me, I can remember sitting, or I was standing in the kitchen and I had this moment that I'll never forget where it was like I fast forwarded um, 30 years in my life and I was thinking, is this what the rest of my life is going to be? Like, is is this going to be a, a yo-yo that goes up and down all the time? Because in those first six months of our marriage, there were um, there were a few moments that I was I was really, really concerned. And so that 
pivotal point in that July kind of brought it all together. And, um, and I just went into it blindly. I, I, I literally had no idea what I was doing and, uh, but I knew I wanted to learn. And I think that's huge because one of the things that I found Brian, when I went to family week, when he was in, um, rehab at that time, I was the only person in family week that wanted their marriage to work. And it was really something to watch and to have the conversations with other family members. And and I think one of the things that I really learned, as tough as it was to to go head first six months into our marriage, I was at this program with families, with spouses that were two, three, four decades into their marriage, and now they're just dealing with it. And I could see how they were completely checked out. And so I'm grateful that we grabbed this really early. And, you know, one of the things that we said from the very beginning of this journey was with what he does for a living, what I do professionally, we, we had an audience that we knew that we um, could be a voice. And it was really important to us that once we figured this out, and got in this process that we wanted to help others. Um, and it was a, a very important. And I see that being something that we are a part of as long as we are living and breathing on, on earth, because unfortunately addiction is recession proof and it's not going away. And, uh, we really like Quentin mentioned, we saw so much through COVID that, that changed for families. And um, the family component, Brian, is such a huge, huge part of this. I think at the beginning, you will see at least all, all we can do is speak from our experience. But in our experience, I think there was a road traveled by an addict and then a road traveled by a family member. And there were lanes on that that were very different. And then as more and more time went by, those lanes intertwined more. And then you find yourself on a highway where you're really together. And um, patience is huge. Patience, empathy, and understanding and being educated for a family member are, I think, the pivotal points of a foundation on where you are going to start in this lifelong journey, because it truly is for the rest of our lives. There was a moment, um, and let me back up, I wouldn't say moment, there was a long time. I would say the first two years of this journey where as a wife, I looked at this constantly like, What's tomorrow going to bring? What's that next road trip going to bring? Or what's that next work trip for me when I'm out of town going to bring when I call home? That is so much mental head trash and it, and it wears on you and it affects your health and it affects every phase of your life. And, um, but then as you both continue to put the work in, and you see your loved one 
making the changes. And I think one of the things that I learned that so is the number one thing in this journey is being in a true recovery program. Not everyone's recovery program is going to look the same, but having one is what is going to keep your life full and keep your life full of joy and hope. And um, if I know some people that are sober and they're not working a program and their lives are full of anger and frustration and bitterness and impatience and really tough marriages and fractured relationships with kids. And um, I can, I can tell you, I remember the moment when we were sitting on the couch and we had had his kids over for dinner and they had left to go home and he turned to me and he said, I think this is getting a little easier and I'll never forget that moment, everything about it, because that, that was the turning point I knew for him where he was putting his recovery first. Our, he had when he went to rehab he went because he was afraid he was going to lose his marriage he was going to lose his job and that was never going to make for long-term success and so when he was able to get to the point where it was for him first and knowing that recovery comes before our marriage um it comes before his children it comes before work then everything else works and i think of a family member when you immerse yourself in the education that needs to come along with every aspect of recovery. Um, you learn your boundaries. You also learn how to communicate on, on a different level. You know, I, I tell people all the time, recovery is talked about in our, in our household every single day. Um, it might be in passing or in a in a funny joke sometimes or it might be you stop absolutely everything that you're doing and the next 90 minutes you sit down and you talk about it because someone's life depends on it well, let me ask you let me ask you this jen and this is really a question for both of you guys and you mentioned this word easy and i know none of this is easy and uh do you think that we are in a time and place where it is now easier for perhaps an addict to say, yeah, I got a problem. And it's easier for folks who do have a problem and those who are supporting them to say, yeah, it's okay. And I'm here for you. Let's do this together. And it's easier for you to say that out loud to somebody else. Hey, we're going through a thing and there probably are others like us and we want to make it easy for you too to say yes and get the help you need. I I really believe that it in this day, um, it is not necessarily easier to get so right, right, right. Not 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 saying that at all. Not saying that at all. Access that you have all the recovery tools and and, and actually you've all probably seen that you know the dry Januarys or sure. you know you know, going sober for 30 days is, has kind of become a fad, which is a wonderful fad to, to be doing. Cause I, 
I know some people that do not work a, an actual recovery mm-hmm. program that were able to access tools on YouTube or, or they have, there's AA meetings on so many different websites that, that host AA meetings or NA, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the access is definitely, I believe, a lot easier. And also, I think the acceptance of a society to accept someone, because, you know, the people that I was in treatment with, a lot of them were really concerned about once they got out, they went home and what kind of backlash was there going to be from their coworkers or maybe, maybe they're going to have to go to court. They might be looking at jail time, something you don't know, but. Um, and, and in my case, I never felt any of that stress because in the music world, it's a very common thing and people don't even look down at you for that. It's like, oh yeah, man, you went to rehab. All right, cool. I went twice, you know, it's like, it's not necessarily a cool thing, but that's kind of how it's yeah. It's like a rite of passage. So I never had that stress of worrying about if people knew and it, you know, it actually opened up a lot of doors for me. I to to speak to uh, other people in the industry. See, see, I would I would add something to that. I would challenge that. I do agree that we live in a time now where it is easier to to get help. But I also think we live in a time where it's a lot easier to get your drugs and alcohol. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's true too. It's true. Too. Got both sides of sure. it. You know, something fascinating that I just learned within the last like two or three weeks from one of the facilities that we do some work with, you know, everyone can get DoorDash, right? And get your food delivered. Do you know that you can get your drugs delivered to your house too? And I never even knew that. I was six years into this program and had no idea that there are certain ways that people can get their drugs delivered to their house and just dropped off right at the door. And so we as a society need to realize that this is ingrained in everything that we're doing. And so I think it's so important for families to be aware of just how, just how prevalent this is. You know, I, I'll never forget something when, um, like Quentin went to rehab and I went to family weekend at Blanchard two days after he had started his program. There were 50 people in this family weekend and everyone stands up and they say, um, you know, why they're there. So what has happened to a loved one? And I will never forget this, guys. When I left that day and I called my dad when I got in the car, I was only two of 50 people that were there because of a spouse. 48 other people were parents of high school kids in the Charlotte area whose kids had a drug or alcohol issue. And there were parents in there where we're talking 11, 12, 13 year old kid that are on their second, third round of addiction challenges. So that was such a huge wake up call for me. And that guys, that was six years ago. Um, So, I mean, it's, it's everywhere, and I think there's a lot of really amazing things. I love how Charlotte just opened a um, a sober bar. I think that's so great. I feel like as a society, it's be- 
becoming more and more accepted to do really cool things with mocktails and um, they're accepted in a different way than maybe they were not even thought of before. Um, but we have to be real, um, real honest with ourselves that this is a problem that is affecting pretty much every age and, um, and, and kind of looking at it like that as well, DC. Yeah, I love that. I, I want to talk to or ask a question here to Quentin. Uh, and Jen, you can answer it as well. One thing I've been impressed with is the celebrities or people that do have the reach that are open to being vulnerable and open to sharing their story. One that comes to mind is Steve-O. Um, everybody probably knows Steve-O. Guy was absolutely insane. Yeah, he's absolutely insane. Well, he's been sober for a really long time and he hasn't changed. He's still the crazy guy, still funny, but he's so open about his path. And Jen, you mentioned about family members and 48 of them having children as a father of two. It's the one thing that terrifies me more than anything. How can I control and keep my kids in an environment where they don't make a mistake? And, and you know, it's also changed. When I grew up, it was, oh, hey, make sure your kids aren't smoking weed and drinking some beers. Well, now it's, hey, hope your kid isn't doing a line that has an opioid and then he dies, you know? So um, I think people that are my age, I'm 38, and our friends are way more open to talking about it and less fearful for what the community thinks about us or our family versus when I grew up. When I grew up, it was the, oh, we don't want the neighbors to think that. We don't want them to know that. My kid's not an alcohol. You know, like it, it was the conversation that nobody wanted to have oh, because yeah. God forbid the community found out that you raised a kid that turned into having an addiction. But those days need to be over. Like, y'all, we have to have the conversation. And that's why I'm so proud of you, Quentin, for sharing that story, because you do have that reach. And Jen, you, as a community leader that you have, and the amount of businesses that you know and the contacts that you have, you guys do have that power. And so it's awesome to be able to share that. And, you know, I, I think it's just fascinating that your band were the first ones that kind of noticed it, right? Um, I'll tell you right now, I have a friend that I wouldn't say is a good friend, and, and maybe this is going to be the conversation that makes me talk to him. But I've noticed some things that are very concerning and I've kind of been waiting for his best friends to be the ones to speak up. And it's like, how have you guys not said something to him yet? You know, and I'm kind of in the situation now where it's like, fuck it. I need to say something, right? You have two kids. You're, you, you got to get this shit together immediately and, and get help or you're going to die or something's going to happen. And, and it's for me, it's even more important that he has two kids, you know? So, um, it's crazy. I, I feel like people just need to be more open. And if you see a friend or a family member that has a problem, the first step is to have that conversation and tell them that you love them and tell them that you're there for them and tell them no matter what they're going through, it doesn't change um, your opinion of them and that you're there to help them. And I think that might open up a lot of conversation that can help a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And it's a very raw conversation that it's difficult to uh, approach someone Um for me nowadays, I, I've, I've learned a lot in in that I've, I've learned to not be, there's a fine line between being a judgmental person towards someone and then speaking with them about something that you see. Because people are, you know, people are so sensitive to like, oh, well, don't judge me for drinking, you know, six beers a night and, you know, whatever. Um so I'm super careful with that, but I do, on occasion, I have talked to people and about what I see 
And, and I think because I'm in a program myself, it can come across as less, well, you're doing this thing. It's more like, hey, I know, I know where you're at. And this is what I'm seeing because I see me, the old me in what you're doing. And I just, I'm just concerned. And this also opened up a door of conversation with my four children. They're all adults. And, you know, I, one of my fears as a father is that they could potentially, you know, have that, um, that general makeup to be an alcoholic addict, whatever. And so I, I've talked to every one of them and I think after they saw what I went through, they, I think they learned a lot about what it can do to a family. And, uh, I thank God my relationship with each one of my children is great and, and had to, with my oldest daughter, because she saw everything from the beginning, pretty much. We had to work on some things, but now it's a beautiful relationship. And, um, but I, I had to have that conversation and I was kind of, it was a little difficult at first, but I, and I, cause I didn't want them to feel uncomfortable. Um, but that was me just trying to control all that situation. I need to just get the truth out there to them to let them know that there is potential that you could be just like your dad and you don't want to be just like your dad, you know, in this respect and everything else. <laughs> no, that's a power. The other things. All the other yeah, that's a very powerful so, statement. So I had that conversation and, um, it, it, it was great. And I think they learned a lot from the situation. Two, I mean, two two things I would share in, in regards to his kids in a in a family environment, um, it really takes time. So yes, I mean, the relationship is fantastic with all four kids now, but it took time to get there, and it takes time for kids to build back the trust. And and that doesn't happen overnight. They have to see day in and day out. Oh, Dad's not going to get behind the wheel drunk today. Yep. Um, dad, if he picks me up, I, I know I'm going to get home safe, you know, so that, that takes a lot of time. Um, there's something that I thought of with, um, something you had just mentioned, Brian, and that is family members see it. They're scared. They, a lot of times they don't know what to do. Right. Um, before this came up with Quentin, I um, I was approached about helping a, a friend of mine who um, several other people thought needed to go to rehab. And I started Googling. I didn't know what to do. Like, that's how clueless I was. I was like Googling rehab facilities in North Carolina. And, um, and that for me was a start, right? Um, the World Wide Web to be good or bad and um but one of the things that i try to always remember is i so vividly remember that feeling i don't think it'll ever leave me of the first few days the first few months 
And so I always try to be so empathetic to what a family is thinking and how scared they are. And so I try to be a open vessel for anyone, anywhere that is somehow connected to me. Um, like Brian, you you were talking about your friend. If that family wanted to reach out to me, like I always make time for stuff like that because it is one family at a time and it is one day at a time and everyone needs an outlet that they can feel safe and they want to hear from someone else that I know what you're going through because it might be the first time they have ever verbalized it to another human being that they're scared about what's happening in their family and then helping those people wherever they are um, in finding the right tools that can start that healing process for their family. So that's that's really important to me as someone walking this um, walking this journey. Yeah, I love that. I want to mention um, uh, before we kind of close this up, and, and I want to I want you guys to to give out some some links, phone numbers for anybody that might be going through some issues. But there's a viral video that went out uh, about Kobe Bryant, and he was speaking about um, how he became a great basketball player. And he said, "The goal is not to be great. The goal is to be better every single day." And think about it: if you wake up every day and say, "Can I be better than I was the day before?" and if you do that for ten, fifteen, and twenty years, how good are you going to be? And I feel like, you know, that can be a, a, a motto and a message for everyone in life, but especially people that are going through addiction, like you guys were saying, it's not about, I want to be sober for 30 years. I want to be sober today. And if you can be sober today and you can be sober tomorrow and you can be sober the day after that, then you're sober for a week. And then you're sober the next day and the next day and the next day. Then it's two weeks. Then it's a month. Then it's a year. And then you're going to blink because you've been doing it every single day and it's going to be five years. And that kind of leads to my last question. And I want to mention this uh, to, to Quentin. You know, none of this is easy and you are still battling this and you will battle it every day and you're going to have good days and bad days. But I can tell from my interactions with you, what I see from the interactions with your kids, with Jen, it seems like you're doing it, man, right? Like it seems like you're you're in a better light. Um, you can just see it. Um, and, and from your perspective, for people that have gone through this or going through it, does it get easier? And, and is your life better? Because of that, because I think a lot of people struggle with it. it's kind of like working out. If you go work out for two days, you're never going to get a six pack. It's got to be like a journey, you know, and the first couple of days suck. Like go work out if you hadn't worked out in six months, you don't even want to walk the next day. You're like, how do people do this? Well, if you do it for a year, you can do the exact same workout and wake up the next day and feel great. So has it gotten easier for you? And, and what's kind of your message for people that maybe you're starting this or maybe you're still continuing that journey? I think, well, first off, uh, it took some time for me to even say the word easier because I, I, I never felt like it was easy and I didn't want to just put it out there. Oh, Hey, well, this is getting easier. But after years of really working the program and I'll be honest with you, when everything was shut down with COVID and I, I was off the road for a long time, I immersed myself in my recovery and I read a ton. I watched i attended meetings online and it was an every single day thing and so i was like just completely immersed with recovery and i think that helped me grow like quickly in the pro 
program. And then when I got back out on the road, something was like, well, this isn't as bad as I remember it being. And I'm actually on stage and I'm playing better. And I remember what I'm doing. <laughs> so it does get easier. It, it is a big growing process of patience, you know, with yourself. And you're not going to get that euphoric moment. Um, you know, some, I, at the beginning of sobriety, we, we call it the pink cloud. You know, you're riding, you're feeling good. Your brain's starting to rewire a little bit. You're clearing your mind. At some point, that pink, cl pink cloud's just going to go prove gone. And and now you're going to be faced with stress or, or whatever that's going to challenge your sobriety. And this is where you insert tools that you have learned so where you call your sponsor, you call a mentor, um, and you start using those those uh, those tools, which are so important. So, I would say, what whatever I could leave with someone, if you're if you're not sober, but you're starting to think about it, and you're starting to think about. Um, planning out, well, I'm just going to have two beers tonight and then tomorrow I'll just have two beers and then I'm going to go down to one. Because I kind of thought that way. If you're thinking that on a regular basis, you might really want to dig a little deeper and think about, this could be an issue. I don't know. That's for you to decide. And, you know, think about yourself. Like Jen mentioned earlier, my recovery has to come first so that everything else in my life doesn't have to come last. So I always, and it, it's it's okay to be selfish with recovery. It's if we have a, a date plan, and I'm like, man, I gotta I gotta stay home and go to a meeting or or whatever. I have to do that, you know, just to to make sure that that you know, Quentin's okay, so he can be a better husband and a better dad and a better person. So if you are thinking about recovery, you can always just start with 30 day challenge. Uh, I encourage a lot of people to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Do a 30 day challenge, you know, don't drink for a month and who knows you might like it. And maybe you don't even have a problem. I don't know. That's again, that's for that individual to decide because not everybody has a problem with alcohol. Okay. And um, I'm not encouraging it, but I'm also not going to point a finger and say, oh, you're having a beer today. You must have a problem there. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to do that because not everybody has the problem. Yeah, me and my wife, we did dry January. And, you know, one of the things that I found out about dry January, and, it, and I agree with you 100%. Like, if you think you have a problem, try to not drink for 30 days. And if you can make that, that's great. But you're going to find out real quickly where those urges come from, right? Um, to the point where I do not consider myself an alcoholic at all. I do like to drink. I do like to have a good time. But I also feel like I got a little too comfortable with it, right? And so it was almost like, am I drinking because I'm in a, a special setting and it's a birthday and we're having fun or, you know, we're watching the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. I got to plug that in there. Or am I drinking because it's Wednesday? Yeah, 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 right. Or, or am I drinking because it's Wednesday and my kids just drove me crazy and it's like, I'm just going to have a couple beers to forget about it. You know, and so for that 30 day journey, A, I feel like it really cleared out my head. Um, I got, I lost nine pounds or something crazy. 
Um, but even, I think my wife was like, you know, you like to have some beers on a Saturday. She's like, I'm going to see, like, can you go a whole month? And I don't know if I'd gone a whole month without drinking in probably four or five years. Right. Um, but we did it and it was incredible. And now I find myself having way less of an urge to, to just comfortably drink. It's more about like, you know, special occasions or, or, you know, going to a Charlotte FC game or doing something fun. And we're in that environment. But I almost feel like that 30 days really kind of triggered it for me going, don't just use alcohol as the comfort because I might not have a problem, but that's how a problem starts, right? Is is it becomes a comfort and then it's every day and then it's six to eight beers and then you're getting drunk every, you know, like it just kind of does that journey. So I think the 30 day challenge is great. And you might find out in that 30 days, hey, you had more of a problem than you even imagined. Um, and then you can get that help. You know what, Brian, here's the difference between you doing, you know, going out and having a couple of beers with your wife. For me, there was no such thing. I'm not going to go out and have a couple of beers. That two beers is what's going to get me warmed up for what is ahead. And I was a guy that could get up in the morning and throw back a shot of vodka to get my day started. There's nothing that makes sense about that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That is a clear problem. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and so, Earl, um, yeah. Did you want to say anything with that? I want to just share one thing. You know, I know Brian's wrapping up, but, you know, I'm always going to be the one that wants to wrap up on hope, right? And, and I think for families, um, there is true light at the the end of this tunnel right and there can be true authentic joy and peace that can come back into your heart if it's been gone for so long that you don't even feel like it could ever be repaired it can um and and that is what i really try to um have as a hope because we're all in this together like we're all rooting for every family to find long-term recovery and and then when you find it it's just like i always say to my girlfriends if i if i could look at certain things that happened through our journey and then look at where we are now it is just literally um night and day and um and that also i think prolongs your human life because i think i was on a path of being so stressed and being able to probably drop dead of a heart attack myself um, because this had me up round the clock. Um, and so it can just be a really great life. And that's what I want. And that's what we want for um, anyone that has to embark on this. I love it. You guys are awesome. Two of my faves. Um, thank you. Yeah. And, and listen, if you're listening to this and you're, and you're going through anything, if you, if you want help, if you want to reach out, please reach out to me, Scott, DC, we can get you in touch with Jen and Quentin or, you know, Ward over at the Blanchard Institute, who's also a really good friend of ours. Actually, we were hanging out with him on Wednesday uh, as well. And um, amazing story of, of, of recovery himself and how he's turned that into an institute to really support others. And we were lucky enough to have him on our podcast to share that story as well. So um, really do appreciate you guys opening up and, and telling us about this and just really proud of you, Quentin, for the journey that you've gone on. And, and Jen, just as proud as you uh, or of you for being able to be that support system. I, I know Quentin 
would say this, there's probably not a better person in the world to support anybody going through something like this than, than Jen Gibson herself. Uh, Absolutely agree. Thank you. Ready for everybody, guys. That's right. I love it. Well, we cannot wait to uh, to see you on the road again, Quentin, uh, playing with uh, the Darius Rucker Band. Uh, you're an incredible talent, and um, it takes a lot to to not only get help, but it takes even more work to to stay sober and continue to do that. And just uh, just proud of you, man. Thank you. I really appreciate it, and thanks for having us. It, we, you know, we we uh, we love sharing the story, and we love hearing success stories, and uh, we're always here to help. By anyone. So I love it, chap. My last question When are you taking the Hood Hargit Breakfast Club guitar on the road? I mean, like, what's going on? Like, is this going to, are we, is this going to, I mean, like, I'm just, I mean, is it on the wall forever? Are we going to get some, some play out of it? <laughs> I have played it and it sounds really good. All right. There we go. There we go. Right. Super cool. So I don't, I don't know what, I'm going to take it out, but uh, it's, Oh, well, I just had a view when he said that. Brian, you need to get him to play the Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, let's do it. We got some connections over there. We uh we just did a bunch of stuff for we do a ton of stuff for them. So I will uh, I'll keep that in mind. But um again, thank you guys so much DC. Thank you for plugging in. You're the best co-host, special co-host. Honorable co-host. Great Sebo. Um like we always say, please like, share, comment, reach out to us if uh, if you have any questions on this. Um, even if you want to send me a, a text message, I can get you in touch with Jen and Quentin. I know they're open to speaking to anybody that can be going through addiction. And uh, just final notes, take care of your family, take care of your friends. Um, it's okay to have a problem, but it's not okay to not get help. And uh, and that's only going to prolong um, more issues. And, and I think Quentin would answer this as well. You know, if you have a problem and you have a family and you're a father or you're a mother, do it for your kids. You have to do it for yourself, but like if, 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 if your kids is what gets you into the program and then you can find out how you can help yourself, you're ultimately helping everyone. And uh, I think that's exactly what you've been able to do. So thank you guys so much. Uh, until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast. been listening to the brand builders podcast brought to you by the dunston group with your host scott dunston and brian young for branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last check out the dunston group at dunstongroup.com